or no, this is your last chance. No beating around the bush. Perhaps I was talking when I should have been listening. This is the Redefine Relentless Podcast. Welcome back to Redefine Relentless. Today we're going to be talking about episode 92, The 4-Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. It's a book that is top best-selling books constantly, and there's a, a big reason. This book is about 400 pages long. It was published in 2009 by Timothy Ferris. He has a podcast now. You should really listen to it. I listen to it a lot. Uh, it focuses a lot on productivity and escaping the 9 to 5, the rat race, uh, and it's a very important book. Now, let me explain that on Audible, this takes about 20 hours to listen to, and then that what, what I did, analyzing, highlighting, underlining, writing comments, you can double that probably and probably even more. It's 40 plus hours it took to analyze this book, really summarize it. I looked at all the summaries. I looked at all the blogs. I looked at everything and it just didn't have – if it was a summary, it was too short. It didn't give me the information that I gained from the book. And if it was too long sometimes in the book, like there was fluff that I didn't really necessarily need and you have to – you know, fix it according to what you do. So what I did was this whole summary is going to be laying gold nuggets everywhere. That's why it's very important to listen to it throughout this entire podcast episode. And if you're interested and you're in the nine to five currently, or you're an entrepreneur just as much as well, you should really listen to this. And it's it's really going to hone in and change your entire perspective of your work. And taking a step back and realizing and analyzing it is very important. And it's very important to do this now instead of 50 years from now. And you're like, what did I just do with my life? I just float. All right, let's jump into it. There was a story that I wanted to jump to. It's towards the end of the the book, um, but it was really good. So there was a Mexican fisherman. He came back early in the morning, uh, and then there was a American that was vacationing there or something. And he noticed the Mexican come back, and he they they talked. And he's like, "Why don't you stay out there longer? It's just still the morning. You can make more money." Blah 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 blah. And then the Mexican fisherman said, "I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my wife Julia, which is a nap, and stroll into the village each evening where I sip my wine and play my guitar with my amigos and." Full, I have a full and busy life, senor. So what he was getting at, and then it goes on, and, the, and then the Harvard MBA graduate that was on vacation started talking about, oh, you can do expand your operations, you can do this. And then the Mexican fisherman was like, then what, senor? And then he was like, oh, then you can sell your business for millions and all of this. And then he said, uh, million, senor, then what? And he said, then you would retire and move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your children, and take a siesta with your wife, again, a nap, and stroll into the village each evening where you'd sip wine and you'd play the guitar with your amigos. So it's what blew my mind about this story in retrospect, jumping out real quick, is to the fact that this fisherman was already doing his dream. He was already living his dream. He had this mini retirement. He was able to like, this is the ideal state, right? That you just, you, you get to enjoy life in your youth and while you're young, instead of just working to your until you have gray hair and you're stressed out and now you can't enjoy what you're doing. You can't, you can travel around the world, but you can't do what you used to do. You know what I mean? Like to your athletic ability and your youth, because when you get older, obviously your physical uh, ability goes down a bit, but you can keep up with it. Absolutely. It just takes a lot more time. What we're getting at here is that this entire time is retrospect, opening your eyes to what you really want. You don't need to have a Lamborghini. You don't need to have this. You don't need to have that. It's again, focusing on the important things in life. And what you have to do is redefine a lot of that. So we're going to be talking about that. So if you're working a 40-hour work week, uh, maybe sometimes maybe even more than that, and you're constantly exhausted, you're constantly stressed, you'd give anything to extract yourself from this daily grind, but you feel like you just can't. You're stuck at your job, and you need to have this job. Well, there's a recipe for escaping this 9 to 5, and that's exactly what Tim Ferriss built in this book, The 4-Hour Work Week, and there's a formula to it. 
So let's talk about what the new rich is, becoming a new member of the new rich. A new rich is a subcultural characterized by mobility and financial freedom. They're tied down by nothing. They've decided where they want to go and they decide what they want to do. They've realized that this is the right moment to live their dreams. To live your life is to live now. And that just opened my eyes. I'm like, I can live now. I mean, although, and I am through my podcast, through reading and, and learning. Like, I love this stage of my life. I, I genuinely do. I just have a huge passion for it. So opening your eyes to the new rich, right? It's, again, focusing. If this whole book can be summed up, it's this goal and what this book is trying to achieve. This is the entire book and what it's trying to achieve. Get more freedom. Get more free time and join the new rich. That's what the new rich is. To get more free time and get more freedom. Free time. So, sorry. Time and freedom over wealth. You don't need to have $100 billion in the bank to have or do what some of these people do. I mean, they do luxurious stuff. You can downgrade it and do the same thing. You can travel the world for not as expensive as you think. And after doing some research uh, that Tim Ferriss talked about, I was like, it's not as expensive to go, you know, out of the country and vacation as I thought. Depending on the places, you go to Paris and stuff, you'll spend a hefty dollar. Um, But, you know, there's some places, uh, Argentina, and we'll get into some places that are really cool to visit. And I'll probably be visiting later this year or sometime, you know, in the future very soon because this book really opened my eyes. That's how good it is. Again, you don't have to have $100 million. You don't have to have... 15, $20 million in the bank to enjoy your life. And that's like the eye opener. We're always on this grind. We need to make more money. We need to do this. But it's like step back, plan, and objectify what needs to be done, right? Go on objectives, not just flow with life. And there's ways to accomplish this, right? So what I'm going to do right now that we kind of objectified and what this is going to be so you're listening to the right thing because if you're working nine to five or you're an entrepreneur and you're working your ass off day in and day out, it's not effective. It's not efficient and data and science prove it. I've talked about it in other podcast episodes as well. Um, That's not really opinion orientated. There's certain productive ways that make you more efficient and there's things that we're going to be learning that I haven't even learned before um, in this book. So what we're going to do first is summarize it in about like two paragraphs, super quick. And what this overall book is, we've gone over the, you know, what the the goals are of the book and everything like that. Now let's, so let's jump in. This book describes a set principles and strategies for maximizing productivity and achieving work-life balance. It advocates for outsourcing and automating tasks, creating passive income streams and adopting a mini retirement mindset. The goal of the book is to help readers achieve financial independence and freedom by finding ways to work less and live more. By finding ways to work less and live more, you'll be adopting a different approach to work and success. One that is focusing on maximizing productivity and finding ways to generate passive income streams. So a lot of it talks about outsourcing and automating. And he, Tim Ferriss, suggests that individuals can free up a significant amount of time and energy by outsourcing tasks that are time consuming and that do not require specialized knowledge or skills. So... The answer to this is virtual assistants and automated software. By outsourcing and automating tasks, individuals can focus on the activities that are most important and that generate the greatest returns on their time and effort. Passive income streams, which is another thing he talks about, and this is achieved by through investments such as real estate stocks, going through and selling products and services and that can be continually sold, selling an online course or a book, whatever, go on, so on and so forth. That is the main Thing about the book. So let's jump deep into this formula that I've been talking about, right? So the, the formula is called DEAL. 
And it depends, and that's if you're the business owner. If you're not a business owner, it's called DELA. It's D-E-L-A. It's just flipping the A and the L around in deal. So let's talk about the entrepreneurship first. D stands for definition, how to know what you want. And like to redefine everything is the, the key principles of this. So remember, living a life of a millionaire isn't about having millions in the bank to achieve these things. It's doing what millionaires do. And you don't have to have a whole lot of money to do what they do. Again, downgrading. I'm not saying what they do is not expensive. They don't have Lamborghinis and stuff like that. I'm saying you can enjoy a lot of things in life and not have a Lamborghini or $100 million in the bank. It's about the ability to do these things with that tons of people with money do. And it's spend months in on tropical islands or going skydiving, just feeling whatever when you want, doing what you want with your family or whatever it may be. And you can achieve the things for much cheaper than what the average like multimillionaire does. And another word is to redefine is happiness. Just a quick second away from the podcast episode, please leave a review, share with friends and family. I really would appreciate that. And turn bell notifications on so you know when I drop the next podcast episode. That being said, enjoy the rest of the episode. And again, redefining happiness. That's what the D for deal means. You have to redefine all these things because we've been taught in school and all these different things to believe this and that and that and that and that. And worth this nine to five and fill it. It's like take a step back and redefine a lot of this stuff that you have in your life. And the opposite, and how do we define happiness? Because that's an important part. The opposite of happiness isn't necessarily sadness. It's actually boredom. And there was a study done by Harvard or something like that, that defined happiness. And it's not necessarily sadness. It's just boredom. That's the opposite of happiness. So the best definition of happiness, which is the opposite of um, boredom, is excitement, finding things that excite you in life. And then there's the E for elimination, and then there's the A for automation, and then there's the L for liberation. And we'll kind of jump in and talk about all these. That was just the main formula that I wanted to get to right away, which is deal. Um, and again, it, it'll be switched around, and I'll explain a little bit later, the um, the L and the A. If you're an employee, uh, it'll be Della. And then if you're a, you want to be an entrepreneur or an owner of a business, it's deal, def- definition, elimination, automation, and liberation. That's the that's the premise of this book and what it builds off of. It'll make sense. You'll be like, liberation, what? Automation, what? I, I completely understand that. Okay, so let's start with some things that are huge takeaways that I think you need to know right off the bat. Retirement is worst case scenario insurance. Less is not lazy. The time is never right. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Emphasize your strengths. Don't fix your weaknesses. Money alone is not the solution. There's relative income and there's absolute income. Relative income is way more important than absolute income. Your absolute income is just your dollar bills, your money, how much money you have. That is what absolute income is. We want to have relative income, which is how much money you have and the time you have. A big emphasis on this, and the book doesn't talk about this. This is something I found somewhere else, which is very important. You cannot replace time. Time is an is a finite resource that us humans have. Once it comes, it goes. We don't have another, of course, we hope to have more and 
prosper more and more in life, right? But it's realizing all the time behind us is used up. We can't have that time back. And it's realizing that, which is really important to make you rationalize that money isn't everything. And that's, you know, sometimes that that was hard for me, especially in this college and like when I was in high school, I truly believed that making money was the answer to everything. And it's not. And if you listen to my podcast, I know I talk a lot about money, but the whole goal is to have financial freedom, that balance to have time and enjoy your life. I truly believe. And of course, I have the, um, and what I believe is faith and being a Christian, but everyone has their own different beliefs. We're not getting into that. So let's talk more. There's also the dream line. So achieving your ideal lifestyle. That's what the dream line is. Dream line was huge in this book because we need to have a set goal or plan and a step-by-step in order to get there. And that's what we talked about in Think and Grow Rich. Again, it reestablishes that. And that's why it's so important in what I'm saying and, and re-saying this. This was in Think and Grow Rich. This was in so many other books. Why your ears should be perked up. Because when things repeat by popular authors and people that, you know, have done a bunch of stuff and they're very, they have a lot of wisdom behind their, their word is very important, especially when it repeats to all of them. Achieving your ideal lifestyle is your dream line. So you have to, in order to achieve this, you have to think big, define steps, Apply timelines to your dreams. It's that simple. So a, a book, the book talked about a TMI, which is your target monthly income. And that was huge. So I, I filled it out. And I realized I don't need a Lamborghini. I don't need the biggest house in the world. I don't need this. I don't need that. I just want land. I want to have my house built out of shipping containers. I want to have space. I want to have this. I did. I ran the math. And I'd have to make roughly uh, $180,000 a year. And some people might be like, wow, that's not that much for like your complete dream of your entire life. And get it. This this is $180,000 is everything and more that I like to call a truck, uh, uh, a Shelby Mustang GT Redline. Like, you know, it's, it's not the most uh, cheap cars, but it's not the most uh, expensive cars that money can buy. But it's stuff I would be really cool. I think would be really cool to have. But I don't work on materialized things. I work a lot on, you know, what I have. And that's also $180,000 is, is also accounting in savings. That's accounting in a bunch of stuff. I'm giving you my example so you can build it off and rationalize that you don't need a million dollars a year in order to live this crazy lifestyle. And I'm not saying no one in the audience thought that nor the other way that you had to make 180,000. Maybe you're like, that is a lot of money, Hunter. And that's total household income. That's not just me. That's like, and that's all expenses accounted for. That's saving to have uh, a certain amount of money when uh, officially retiring, not working another day, and then a bunch of other stuff. Um, So like that is to the T what uh, would be the most ideal income for me, maximum dollar value I would need for what I like, right? Or what I, how I, the lifestyle I would I would enjoy to live. So that was very important. Define your TMI. And that's on Tim Ferriss. I'll leave that in the link in the bio. Definitely check that out. The TMI is so detrimentally important to retrospect your financial freedom. That is huge. Again, we need to define, think big. And it, the book talked, $180,000 is probably more than, way more than, and that includes taxes and everything else. That's, But again, it says, think big, define the steps, and I'm defining like the car payments or whatever, applying the timelines, the dreams, and then I get my TMI. And there's other things you can apply the dream line to, like your career goals and everything like that. So what you do is infinitely more important than how you do it. Again, what you do is infinitely more important than how you do it. Efficiency is still important, but it is useless applied to the right things. So you need to focus on the important things, prioritize, than how you do it. Because you can allocate uh, these these tasks to other people, and we're going to figure out that in the automating process um, and why it's important. 
So what gets measured gets managed. I loved that quote, especially in my job. I took, that was a big takeaway for me. I want to say that again. What gets measured gets managed. That's a big golden nugget. If you ask me what gets measured gets managed or else it doesn't really get managed that much. So there's what's the Pareto law, which is this 80, 20 rule. And it's detrimental. I've heard it somewhere else. It was Chris, I forget his last name, but this guy that came to Ball State and spoke, um, I remember it from his, the 80-20 rule. And it just opened my eyes. I'm like, now I understand. And he's read that book. It reinforced it and brought it back in my life because I just lost what the 80-20 rule was, which is the Pareto's law. In 80% of your outputs result from 20% of your inputs. That's what the Pareto's law is. It's 80% of the outputs result from 20% of the inputs. So an example of this, to put it in retrospect, 80% of the consequences flow from 20% of the causes. Wow. And then 80% of the results come from 80 from 20% of the efforts and time. I'm going to re-say that one because that really changed my thinking and productivity and efficiency and what is important in stepping back and prioritizing. 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort and time you spend. Wow. That is a golden nugget if I've ever seen one in my life. 80% of companies' profits come from 20% of the products and customers. High-paying customers and the best products that they have sell and bring them 80% of their money. And you can look at the data. Like, this is why the Pareto's law is solely so high up in the air. And I, I haven't heard it until now. And I'm like, wow, that is insane. And it's realizing and recognizing the Pareto's law is very important. So some questions to ask yourself is 20% of the, what are the 20% sources that are causing 80% of my problems, aka unhappiness? Another question to ask yourself is what are 20% of the sources resulting from 80% of my outcome slash basically your happiness? And for me, my podcast, 20% of my time is allocated towards my podcast and it, it brings me probably more than 80% of my enjoyment and my why and my purpose and like I feel so fulfilled, like genuinely. I have, this is going to be my 92th, 92nd 90 podcast. And like just looking back and how much I've learned and how much people I've helped, it's just so awesome. I love it. It's it's one of the best things that has happened. It is the best thing that has honestly happened to me and it fulfills me, that 80-20 rule again. Okay, going further, slow down and remember that this, most things make no difference. Being busy is a form of laziness. Lazy thinking and indiscriminate action. Wow. Slow down and remember this. Most things make no difference. Being busy is a form of laziness. Thinking lazy and indiscriminate action. Wow. Being overwhelmed is often as unproductive as doing nothing, and this is far more unpleasant. Being selective, basically doing less, is the path to being more productive, Focus on the important few and ignore the rest. Oh my gosh, ultimate gold nugget. That is like with the prioritizing, I think we, you have to redefine and that's what the D means for in the deal. What the formula that we're currently on is the D and defining new things, right? D, D and like definition. We have to redefine things. What we think we need to prioritize, we need to ask questions about. What is this actually accomplishing? What is the objective of this? People actually, you don't know until you ask other people and and to rationalize yourself. So again, reflect and rationalize what you do at work or in school and what really matters and what doesn't matter. I remember being in economics trying to like do the homework when it was only like 10% and then 
exams were like ridiculously 90% or something. I'm like, I should focus way more on studying than the homework, but the homework helps. So long story short, focus on the important few and ignore the rest. And again, you have to redefine that because what you think you need to prioritize right now, I guarantee you should not be a priority in most case scenarios. Maybe it is good, but a lot of people need to redefine that. And even I do, that's something I had to do myself. Lack of time is actually lack of priorities. Again, when someone says, I can't do that, I don't have time for that, it's just an excuse. And it's like, you could have time. I don't have time for that. It's just, I think it should be restructured. I'm still working on it, and I still say that, honestly. I can't be a hypocrite saying this, but um, I, I take a step back and really think about that. Lack of time is actually a lack of priorities. If someone, and it's again, I know I understand it, it's being soft and like trying to, um, not be mean when someone asks you, hey, you, I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. Or, or you can just be like, you know, I'm really focused on my business right now and I really need to, you know, versus something like that and just being straight to the point. It's it's the lack of priorities. And I think we know this, a lot of us, but we need to re-rationalize lack of time is actually a lack of prioritization. So you're nine to five. Listen, please. Listen, again, there's so many, so many golden nuggets. I really want you to listen right now. Nine to five is eight hours to fill. If you had 15 hours you had to fill, you would fill it. If you had 15 hours to fill every single day, you would fill it if you had to work. That just blew my mind. If we have an emergency and need to leave two hours before our our work day is over and we have a deadline, we have to turn this thing in at five or we get fired or whatever, there is a deadline, it ends up getting done. And how is this achieved? This is the Parkinson's law. Again, listen, this is such a, this is one of the higher golden nuggets, the Prieto's law, and now the Parkinson's law. These are huge on productivity. I really want you to listen to the Parkinson's law and focus on the micro and the macro into what this says. So this is the definition of the Parkinson's law. Dedicate that a task will swell in perceived importance and complexity in the realization to time allotted for its completion. Magic of in a minute deadline, imminent deadline. Time pressure forces you to focus and execute on the bare essentials. Now, that was wordy, right? This definition, but let me break it down, make it simpler. So, you, like, even I had to like kind of look at more into it. I was like, all right, that's kind of complicated. Even like that's complicated for me. So, more time equals less effort needed. Again, more time you have that nine to five, you have plenty of time. The less effort you really need to do this. Versus you have less time, you are more, you, there's more effort that is needing. Less time, so you have less time to do something, you're going to have a lot more effort and bandwidth and thought and thinking and prioritizing in the bare essentials that need to get done, done. We need to get to the point and do the things that are important instead of filling our, our, our nine to five and what we believe. In this book, just FYI, if I don't have this problem and that's why I'm displaying this book. I want you to step back even from the podcast and realize that if you have a nine to five and you feel like you do a lot of effortless work or you do a lot of dispensable tasks or things that are repetitive very all the time and you and you have to work your nine to five, like my job luckily is based on results. It is not based on a nine to five. I can, you know, it's dependent a lot on on results. Although I like tend to stay at work nine to five, I, I work on my podcast and other things, honest to God, but I'm also very productive with my time I spend on doing and being prioritizing and, and always reevaluating with my boss. My, I'm so lucky to have my position that I do. But I realize some people have that nine to five. They have to be at work and they have to stay there. Read this book. Trust me. Read this book because I'm not going to go as far into it. I'm taking a step back, right? 
uh, for the employees that work nine to five and they're stuck there, reread this. And this can honestly make you work hybrid or like get away from work and you be more productive, focus on the important things. And this isn't to get fired. You're doing more, doing less. That is what this is accomplishing. And there's no get rich quick. There's no, there's none of the thing. Like what you have to do is going to take a lot of time up front in order to autopilot what this is trying to accomplish. Uh, so I want you to recognize that this is not easy. It's going to take some time and effort for you to do. And there's so much for employees nine to five in this book that you need to read if you, uh, that this podcast isn't going to talk about. So if you, if that's you read the book, you really need to, but listen to this podcast because there's still a lot of good information I took away. So there's so the Parkinson's law. Again, there's, we say we have 30 minutes. I have 30 minutes to accomplish the thing that normally takes me 45 minutes. And I set a timer. And when that timer's done, I have to turn it in. There's no, Oh, I have two more minutes. Like you have to set deadlines to time because you focus on, it forces you to do the bare minimum and focus on the essentials. Give yourself, don't, it's just so important. Just do that. Parkinson law, give yourself time. Don't just do things flowing. And that's something that I, I found hard in everything I do. I need to start to time it, to bring it down, to do the bare essentials uh, and meet that equilibrium to where it doesn't lose its quality. So there's two synergistic w approaches. So there's the limited limit tasks, the important and to shorten the work of time, which is the 80-20 rule. Again, limit tasks to the important to shorten the work time. To the important stuff that needs to get done, that 80-20 rule, 20% of your work and time ends up being 80% of your actual results. And then two, shorten work time to limit tasks to the important, which is your Parkinson's law. Short, you need to be very short, and clear guidelines. Again, I want you to focus. If there's two takeaways of the ultimate golden nuggets of this entire podcast episode, listen to the Parkinson's law and also the Prado's law. That is very important in productivity if you haven't heard of that already. Focus on demonstrating results instead of dedication. Dedication is often meaningless work in disguise. Be ruthless and cut that fat. Cut the fat that is so pointless that no one needs that like – there's just so much stuff in corporate America. And again, I am so lucky in the, and I'm not trying to be cocky or like, Oh, look at me. Like I am, I know I'm lucky and I am, I'm genuinely grateful for my job that they, my boss li listens to Tim Ferriss and he is a huge advocate of him. And there's some people that do and some people that don't, but it be, and I'm not in a corporate job, corporate America this is what they face. And I want, I, I don't want you to waste your time working your butt off going for someone's dreams that like someone's paying you to go for their dreams and you can't home in and you've just been persuaded that you need to work this nine to five, right? Focus on demonstrating results instead of showing dedication. Dedication is often just meaningless work in disguise. Dedication is that nine to five showing up on like you need to show up on time. Yeah, sure. But the goal is to work from home. Right. And then you get and prioritize and you do those things. Dedication is that nine to five. It's a disguise for meaningless work. That person that gets that nine to five and Jimmy's, you know, he's there. He's always there and he's always doing this work. If you're not doing the right work and it doesn't matter, why are you like you don't need to fill this void if you don't have it. Focus on demonstrating results. Be ruthless. Cut the fat. You got to. So there's more time doing less. That's what you're accomplishing. So you need to define your do's, your to-do list and your two not to-do list. Again, there's so much good stuff in this book. I really want you to listen. Like every ounce of energy, please just listen. Focus on driving and stuff, but I want you to listen to this. These are the hypothetical cases that are going to help you get started with your to-do list and defining your two not 
to not to-do list. One, if you had a heart attack and you had to work two hours a day, what would you do? Two, if you had a second heart attack and had to work two hours per week, what would you do? If you had a gun to your head and you had to stop doing four-fifths of different time-consuming activities, what would you remove? What are the top three activities that you could use to fill time to feel as though you've been productive? What are the things that you're putting up there, the top three activities that you're just doing to fill time, to fill that gap of that nine to five? Five, who are the 20% of people who produce 80% of the enjoyment and propel you forward? And which of the 20% causes 80% of the depression, anger, and second guessing towards yourself? Six, learn to ask. If this is the only thing I accomplished today, will I be satisfied with my day? Seven, put a post-it note on your computer screen or set it on Outlook reminders to alert you that at least three times daily with this question, are you inventing things to avoid the important? Eight, do not multitask. Uh, how about that? Yet again, do not multitask. People think there's multitasking still. And I'm not shaming you for that. Just go look at the data. I've said it. It's I, because I've read so many of these books and so many smart people and data and scientists, people from Harvard, Yale talk about it all the time. People truly believe you can multitask. And that is not a thing. And I see it repetitively in books. So let's keep on going. There's one more thing. Use Parkinson's law in a macro and a micro level. So accomplish less doing more. So a macro level would be attempting to take your Friday or Monday off or as well as leaving work at 4 p.m. This will focus, make you focus on prioritizing more effectively and being quite possibly developing a social life out of this. And then on the micro, zooming in, on a task level, limit the number of items on your to-do list and use important short deadlines to force you to act, do action immediately in ignoring the things that aren't as important. So there's also another thing. It talks about offering solutions. Just offer solutions. Don't try to make problems. If you have a problem, offer a solution. It's that simple. That's a really good thing. I took a golden nugget. So many distractions. Most information is time-consuming, negative, irrelevant to your goals and outside of your influence. Once again, less is more. And that's exactly what I'm accomplishing with Simpler Living and what I want to do. I want to show people living with less and thriving more. It's just that tiny home movement, and I truly believe it. It's just you look around, and if you have all this, all these houses, all these boats, all these cars, it's just more of a headache for you. It comes a full-time job with all the amount of materialistic things you have. And I'm not, you know, downplaying you. If that's what you want, then go after it. I don't, you know, that's what America's so great. We can all have our own different view points and opinions, right? Um, so distractions, again, most information is time-consuming, negative, irrelevant to your goals and outside of your influence. So TikTok, Instagram, all these different things when you're comparing yourself to, you know, someone that's one-faced and then in real life is not that way um, is a very outside. That's just like we're so dopamine-centric um, now into like TikTok. And, and we if you don't get our attention in three seconds, we don't care. But I think it's important also that in real life we should be that way. It's like if you're – if this is boring or doesn't have an objective or agenda or anything like that, why am I listening, right? It's um, But I mean obviously this is outside friends and family. I want to be really clear on that. This is work. This is not friends and family. Um, so 
there's a one week media fast. It tells us to get that. I'm actually going to be doing that really soon. Um, and I'm not just saying that, like I'm going to be automating and scheduling my posts and stuff. And then I'm going to be completely off for a week. Um, I'm actually going to be doing it this week. And that's not, again, being said, that's actually what I'm going to be accomplishing. Practice the art of not finishing. This was a really hard for one for me to get wrap my head around. I can't tell you enough. It was really hard for me to wrap my head around because practicing the art of not finishing is a really tough thing for me to do. I read a book and I'm like, I'm already invested 50 pages. I have to finish the whole thing. It's better to not finish it, put the book down and realize that it would be a waste of time than to try to read it and try to make it make sense. Because some things just are built not to make sense and you in your own biological thinking and mindfulness and everything that your experience and stuff is completely different from mine. So we got to practice the art of not finishing. We will build logic behind it. We'll try to do this and that, but it's just, just practice the art of not finishing. That's helped me a lot um, and been detrimental in making this podcast, um, especially some books. Like I read, now I read a book and I'm like, okay, this is so lame and boring, but it got really good reviews, but it's just not for me. Uh, and I got to be objective and know what I want. So there's three things that are really important in this book, especially in productivity. I want you to listen. There's time wasters, there's time consumers, and there's empowerment failures. Time wasters are meetings, phone calls, and emails. Not every single th- meeting, phone call, and email is a time waster. I want to be very clear on that. That's not what Tim Ferriss is trying to get towards. But there's a lot of things in corporate America, like meeting-wise and call-wise and email-wise, that are so pointless. They don't get to the point, And it is so important to realize that those are time wasters, a majority of them. Uh, how are you doing, Susie? All this, you got to build story and like you got to have those things and you got to talk and stuff. And that's one thing I wish I had as like being in my job, right? I wish I had to talk to people constantly and I I, I make excuses. I could talk to people at Cohatch. I just decide not to because I want to be productive. And I realize that meetings and other phone calls and some emails can be pointless if there's not a set um, in time and stuff. And we'll get to that in just like literally like three minutes. And then there's time consumers, which are just repetitive tasks looking at your emails all the time. Um, you know, these repetitive things, how can you automate them? How can you make them more quicker? How can you make them better? Uh, and focusing on the upfront time, it will take you a little bit longer, but it will sacrifice and, and you'll get your return on time back, which is very important. You can remember, you can't replace your time. You can replace money though. And then there's an empowerment failure. So improve to make small things happen. So it's like, um, Approve small things to happen. So like this is if you're a business owner, you shouldn't micromanage people if the fix is $100 to $500. And if it's that big of a mistake, you're not going to go in the red for your company because of that. You got to approve small things to go through. That was a, another side thing I, I took away as being wanting to build my business. Limit email consumption and production. That is that is actually ultimately probably one of my biggest productivity things that I have noticed because I've been done with this book about two plus weeks now, maybe three, two plus weeks. Yeah, I think two weeks. And that's the biggest thing I did. I immediately downloaded what's called Rescue Time. That's a huge resource. It's free. You should check it out. Rescue Time again. And I'll post all of his links for his resources below. I'm telling you, those resources are super helpful in productivity. Again, it takes a lot of upfront time, but it'll help you in the long run, right? And also turn off notifications. This is one of the simple things we've been told all the time. It's the hardest thing, but turn off notifications. And on Apple, they have work. You should definitely look at that stuff. I feel like a lot of people already do that. But if you don't, you should definitely do that, especially work, school, and in finding that deep work to get into with that pray to Lowe's law in like shortening your time, but also ignoring all your distractions, giving them away and just going into deep work and laser focus. And that's how you accomplish it. Um, turning off notifications, anything that can quickly take your time away because then you're switch tasking. Again, I have plenty of episodes talking about switch tasking and we're not going to be focusing on that. So you listen to other ones if interested. Um, 
Then there's, uh, like I check my email. This Again, this is the biggest takeaway. 12 to 4 p.m. I check my email, which is called batching. That's a huge thing, takeaway. So instead of switch tasking, this is focusing on making things that are repetitive and doing them at once a day or twice a day or once a week and just batching them up so you can focus on one task and be laser focused and you end up saving so much more time because again, Money can replace, time can't. So we're trying to make everything as efficient as possible because you're constantly switch tasking. You're not, and again, you want to also be effective in the sense of prioritizing because you can, if you're not prioritizing, you can do all this different stuff and and look busy. Uh, but in reality, what you're doing is not effective and efficient. 20% of what you do brings 80% of your results. So look at it that way. And then there's also beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission especially in corporate America. I was like, whoa, that's actually really cool. Beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. I'm not saying if you have like a company, a company credit card going ball out on some Gucci or designer, I'm pretty sure it'd be voided by any means or like something crazy like that. Don't do that. Like logically, let's think about this real quick. What I'm saying and bringing it back is ask for forgiveness and don't ask for permission is like when you do things right. If you're productive and you do your work and you do better than, you know, you don't want to get fired, but it's also what Timothy Ferris was talking about is beg for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. I think that's a really good thing. Uh, but be careful with that because it can be definitely used in the wrong thing. And I'm not trying to put it that way. GTP. Holy moly, this is huge. And I saw this in a venture capitalist meeting of these guys who invest in companies. And we got to ask them questions. They are so GTP. What does that mean? Get to the point. Instead of saying, how are you? You need to say, how can I help you? Again, this is business, not family. When So I'm going to say someone gets on a call with me. And I don't agree with all these things. I'm don't lie. Be be honest with what's happening. But like you want to with what's happening currently. Um, so someone calls me. I'm answering it. Hey, I got a phone call in like five minutes. How can I help you? And then another one. Hey, I'm in the middle of something, but I got a couple of minutes. How can I help you? It forces them to GTP. Get to the point. That's what we want to be achieving. So meetings. Don't go to them if they don't have clear objectives or agendas. And also, if they don't have a defined end time, they're just whenever they end, they end. You don't want to do that because then that avoids the um, Prato's law, which is you want to force yourself to go to the bare essentials and minimum and not short, sweet talk and all this, which is good. You want to have a balance, right? Um, But you want to also, if you're going to be, I think, stepping back in the argument of that real quick is like people are like, well, I need to talk. I need to like socialize and stuff. Okay, but like. Work life shouldn't be your entire life. You can enjoy things and like maybe have fun with friends. And then maybe you're like, well, they they were third nine to five, but I like found efficient way. Tell them about it. And like now you can like be more effective. Your your friends shouldn't be all at work. You should be outside of work and actually have a social life and enjoy life, right? So that's very important. Um is what we're doing and prioritizing and work, being there the bare minimum. We're not trying to say that you can't talk. Um, we, I mean, Tim, uh, it's not saying you can't talk to friends, family, but like we're trying to be most productive and cut 80% of the fat that doesn't matter, right? Um, you're going to forget what Susie and how her day was. Um, yes, but again, you want to be nice and like demeanor. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Um, but Tim Ferriss, this is what we're talking about, right? We're summarizing. Don't work hard when the solution is smarter. Don't micromanage people. That was a huge takeaway. Replace how are you with how can I help you again? How are you? No. How can I help you? Replace that. GTP. Get to the point. Be simple and concise. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hunter, you just said that like five minutes ago. No. The, the, I, I, I made this for a specific reason. Psychologically, you have to like repeat things back to people in order for them to really digest it and improve it and put it in their life. 
So that's what I'm accomplishing here. And I'm not repeating everything, just the very important things that, trust me, all this was structured in a specific way. So going forward, routinize, sorry, routinize uh, batching. So get on the routine of finding the things uh, and asking yourself those questions that I, I, I told you just about 10 minutes ago. Um, and how, you know, the things that take a bunch of time that can be kind of automated, how can I make it more simple? How can I make it more simple? And they'll get to the point where you can't make it any more simple. And then you can eventually automate it. So profit is only profitable if you extend that of which you can use it. You need time for that. Again, that's what like going back to the argument, well, Hunter, I need to talk to people and socialize. Again, profit is not only profitable to the extent that you can use it. It means you need time. You need time. Do you want to use the rest of your life as that nine to five? That's what we're trying to accomplish here. So again, thinking that and prioritizing that. If you want to talk to Susie your entire life or whatever, it's getting like, you know, getting to the point, but also stepping back and prioritizing. That's what we're really trying to get at. So automating real quick. Now you might be thinking and scratching your head, Hunter, deal. That is, you've gone through D, definition, E, elimination. Um, you haven't really gone through, so is this half? Is this going to be a whole movie I'm listening to? No, this is going to be, uh, I'm going to go really quickly through automating because I don't think it's necessarily important and I'm going to tell you why at the end. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to give you the golden nuggets. Automating, this is what A stands for in deal. If you are spending your time worth 20 to $25 per hour, which is about $50,000 salary a year, doing something that take that would take someone to do $10 an hour, it is simply a poor use of time and resources. Again, if you're making $20 to $25 per hour and that someone could end up doing that gets paid $10 an hour, it's simply a poor use of time and resources. The goal is to free your time to focus on bigger and better things. Free your time to focus on bigger and better things. Eliminate before you delegate. Could this be eliminated? Is this the most pointless thing? You need to question yourself with that. Outsourcing. That was one of the biggest things that I got. Number one rule for outsourcing to anyone, which is really going to be, um, as it says, it's YMII, Your Man in India, Brickwork, you know, all these things you can outsource for paying people basically $10 per hour. Um, and that's outsourcing, right? So the number one golden rule is the task must be time-consuming, and well-defined. It's easy to do, and it doesn't take someone specialized to do it, and it's just repetitive. You know, email. You can be on the phone with your assistant, and they're reading them to you as you're driving, and you say, answer it this way, answer it that way. Instead of sitting there for hours on end trying to answer it and think of it yourself, you have someone reading it to you while you're driving so you can focus on, you know, try to automate it a little bit. Um, Semi-automating, I guess. So a key metric when you get someone that's your virtual assistant, which you can find, Tim Ferriss, again, I'm going to put the resources below if you're interested in getting these people. Uh, I'm personally not. I'm trying to learn and recognize and experience. That's why I think it's important with this book um, to realize where you're at in life and how this book can apply to you. Uh, again, all the resources will be down below so that you pay basically $10 an hour and you make 10, 20 to 25. It makes sense to maybe hire someone to get off a Friday or something. So metric to using a virtual key assistant, a virtual assistant is cost per task completed, not per hour. That is something Tim Ferriss learned. He said it, you should charge by task, not per hour, because someone in Canada, because you can out, actually outsource in Canada and they cost 20, about roughly 15, 20 an hour, um, they're a bit more expensive, but what might take someone in Canada that's a virtual assistant an hour to do could end up taking someone, um, let's say overseas, doesn't matter where, that you pay $5 or $10 an hour, you know, um, 
ends up taking him 10 hours instead of one hour. It's just a poor resource of time. You have to test this yourself is what Tim Ferriss said uh, in order to understand it because you, per task is going to go way further per hour because it just depends. That's a huge thing he learned. And there's also a language barrier, which is a disadvantage if you go overseas. And if you have them becoming a customer service or something, it could potentially devalue given to the fact that if someone from America is calling you know, customer service and then it's out of sight. But, you know, Amazon and uh, Google and a bunch of other people do it as well. So teach your own. Um, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure in to that sense to, um, when to use it and when to not. Um, but let's continue. So cost per task. I really want you to take that away. Use a v, VA firm instead of a solo person with this automating VA firm is pretty important. Uh, Tim Ferriss talked about, and the goal is to automate, have an automated vehicle that generates cash without consuming time, which is what he calls a muse. Price high, then justify. I really like that because that changed my perspective. I was like, wow, price high, then justify. You have a price. I want to charge $200 per price. And then you can build the product from there and make it more luxurious in your target market. It's a different perspective that I haven't seen from, um, you know, business books. Options are basically to resell a product on Amazon, which I don't really agree with. I'm not going to go too much far into that. License a product. So basically like Kiss, they make a ton of money, not from touring, but from licensing their branding that basically stores and shops can put their logo Kiss and the band on it and sell their t-shirts. They get a percent, 5% per shirt they sell. And they basically outsource it to other people to sell all their merchandise and they make a boatload of money doing so. So that's licensing. And then uh, creating a product instead of like reselling a product, you become an inventor. So you don't need to become an expert. And I like this part. Expert means you need to know more than the topic than the purchaser or the person you're talking to. No more. That makes you kind of an expert. Maybe not by definition, but Tim Ferriss talked about it that way. Go niche or go broke. Loved that. Focus groups, they are pointless if you don't ask them to buy or do waitlist. That was something, a big takeaway as an entrepreneur and building my own business to the fact of like, you can have a focus group and my mentor helped me with that. He's like, focus group, that's what, if I started my business, that's what I do and start with. And um, and he told me that and I needed to research more into it and then look, figuring it out in a focus group, it should at the end, you should ask for them to be on a wait list and put a down deposit down because they need to put their money where their mouth is. They could just be being nice to you. And that's why it's very important to do that. And I'm like, wow, that opened my eyes. That's a, that's probably one of the, again, one of the top takeaways in the book for me. So market selection, uh, products, brainstorm, micro testing, rollout and automation. That was a huge thing in the book. I'm not going to go too deep into it. And then start with the end of mind. I started with a quote with that Mexican story at the beginning and I started with the end of mind. So I implemented that even into my podcast. And I think that's very important. Start with the end in mind so you can learn how to build those steps and define it with the D uh, and deal. So a big problem that entrepreneurs have is they don't know when and how to replace themselves with something more scalable. And this, uh, a book that talks about it, if you want to hear a book, I've already um, read it, is The E-Myth. And it's huge on entrepreneurship. It tells you when and how to replace yourselves because you get in this dispensable job that you're doing, you know, your power washing um, or whatever. You you need to replace yourself when it becomes profitable and cash flow so you can get more employees and then build your business to become more scalable. Um, huge takeaway I also got, but I've, I've known, but it just made it more concrete. Uh, a quote that I think you'll really like, because now we get into the point where um, this this gray area uh, that um, I, I think is more, uh, what is life? All these questions, if I have all the time in the world, what is li all this different stuff, right? Would you like me to give you a formula for success? It's quite simple, really. Double your rate of failure. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. I love that. Uh, and another quote by Benjamin Franklin, which again gets in more into that really thinking of what is life, what is the point, all this different stuff. Some people die at the age of 25 
but are buried at the age of 60. What does that mean? They, there's a really what Benjamin Franklin, there's out there, you can look it up, what he really means. But this is my takeaway from it. And, and really what, why it was put in this book is that nine to five. Some people die at 25. They don't care about, like they, they just go with the flow. They, they don't want to have, they don't have their goals. They don't have this written down. They don't want to, and they, they basically die. They, they attribute their life to this nine to five. Someone pays them to go after their dreams instead of them going after their dreams. And they get – and your dream could, again, as I said in previous podcasts, it can be a tie to your business. It just depends. Um, but a lot of people do this and they flow with life. A lot of people die at the age of 25 and are buried at 60. And it's realizing um, and becoming coherent and acknowledging your surroundings and what you want to do with your life and trying to go after your noble why in which you can achieve full fulfillment. So men in retirement, super quick. I like this. This is the the what I talked about at the beginning of the podcast episode was learning how to slow down and get lost intentionally. Visit Argentina, Japan, England, all these different places and it'll really help. So that was the automation super quick. Now we're in focus on liberation just a little bit and it gets into this, what is life, all this different stuff. So you know what's really hard? with t- It's too much idle time, which we would quote boardroom. And another thing that's hard is living more and becoming more is can be pretty hard to do as well. So like, get, again, getting into this, what is the meaning of life? What is the point of this all if we have a bunch of time? If you can't define it, Tim Ferriss says, or act upon it, forget it. And I think this attributes a lot to like my Christianity. I don't know if Tim Ferriss is religious or not, but I know I wasn't built and I feel that way that I wasn't built to understand everything. Um, And that like, I need to understand the Bible and stuff like that. But like, there's only so much humans can, can coherently think about and understand on the scale of like, you know, what's out there. Like even the smartest people, um, the doctors, PhD people, people that study stars, all that. Just imagine all that stuff that's out there and how much stuff we don't know. It's like, and I know we think about this often, but we weren't, we really weren't built to know everything. And uh, we try to achieve it, but it just, I mean, such a small percent. Like there's so much more to the universe that we don't see, which is crazy to me. Um, but getting even more, a little more deep within that Christianity, you just don't understand everything. And I think that's the true, what I think about that. Um, this is, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways in, um, you know, defining life and all this is, is really, I want you to listen to this. The day you know you can die, fully rationalize that you can die tomorrow is the day you learn to live today. Living in the now, that change, and, and people get, oh, I'm so scared about death. And it, it, I honestly, God, I am so comfortable with death now. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't like to die. I think I have a lot more to give and purposeful uh, meaning and fulfillment to give myself and also others to accomplishing that. Uh, but I feel like uh, I, I'm really fulfilled by what I do and what I've achieved with this podcast That to the fact that I could literally publish this. And some people are like, don't say that, Hunter. And I could get shot like right after this. And I would be... I would be comfortable having that death um, right then and there um, as I just look up if I get shot and robbed or God forbid. I would, and I'm recollecting this right now, I would truly feel comfortable. And some people are like, that's a crazy mindset and stuff like that. Again, I know everyone has different mindsets and stuff, but I think that's that's really defined my life and helped me understand to live in the now and do what you love because you could make all this money and all this and then something bad unfortunate happens you get hit by a car or something Uh, the odds of that happening are so low if you're young i want you to really focus on that so don't do too dumb things but also to realizing that you can die tomorrow it means you live in the now Uh, i think you really should listen to that and i attribute a lot of my life um, to that and it helps me sleep well at night really does 
find the cause vehicle that interests you the most and don't make any apologies and go for it, right? Again, towards the end of this episode, I want you to peek your ears up on the following questions. What are you good at? What could you be the best at? What makes you happy? What gets you excited? What makes you feel accomplished and good about yourself? What are you proud of for accomplishing in your life? Can you repeat this or further develop it? And finally, what do you enjoy sharing or experiencing with other people? That can help you find your purpose and fulfillment. And that's basically wrapping it up. And Tim put a, uh, he has a bunch of blogs. I'll leave those resources below. Uh, That was one of his most popular in the book. I want to share with you the top 13 new rich mistakes. I really want you to listen to this because this is really going to summarize what you just heard uh, and huge takeaways and golden nuggets. Losing sight of your dreams and falling into work for your work's sake is very bad. That's a big mistake you don't want to do. Two, micromanaging and emailing to the full time. Three, handling problems your outsourcers or coworkers can handle. Four, helping outsourcers or coworkers with the same problem more than once. Five, chasing customers, particular unqualified or unintentional prospects when you have significant cash flow to your finances. Six, answering emails that will not result in a sale or that can be answered by a fax, FAQ, or autoresponder. Seven, working where you live, sleep, or should relax. Eight, not performing through 80-20 analysis every two to four weeks for your business and personal life. Nine, striving for endless perfection rather than great or simply good enough, whether it's personal or professional life. Number 10, blowing small portions, small problems out of proportion as an excuse for work. 11, making non-time sensitive issues urgent in order to justify working. 12, viewing one product or job or product as an end-all, be-all of all your existence. 13, ignoring social reward life. Wow. So let's finish this just real quick. Whenever you are overwhelmed, there's two things that I want you to really recognize this question. Question yourself whenever you're overwhelmed, you're having a midlife crisis, whatever it is, are you having a breakdown or a breakthrough? So like in my example of simpler living, am I having a breakdown or a breakthrough with like what I want to do and like what I'm trying to accomplish and like how I'm basically going to be slowing it like really slow with my podcast after episode 100? Is that a breakdown? Is that a breakthrough? Like after I was thinking my noble why and everything I want to achieve and like that I could bring more. Like I had, I thought it was a breakdown, but in retrospect, and I gave myself perspective, especially through reading this book, I was having a breakthrough, which I'd rather have now instead of in 50 years and being like, why did I do that? Or what, like those questions, right? And I had to take that jump when I was, I, I felt I was comfortable to drown. Um, that's really also a good quote. So I'm going to give you another quick article uh, that's super quick that I think is going to be very useful, your not-to-do list, which is nine habits to stop now. Do not – one is do not answer calls from unrecognized phone numbers. Two, do not email first thing in the morning or late at night. Three, do not agree to meetings or calls that do not have clear agendas or end times. Four, do not let people ramble. GTP, get to the point. Five, do not check emails constantly, batch, or check at set times only. Six, do not over-communicate with low-profit or high-maintenance customers. Seven, do not work more to fix overwhelmingness. Prioritize. Eight, 
Do not carry a cell phone 24-7. Try to put it down and alleviate yourself from those notifications, everything like that, but which you should have turned off. Nine, do not expect work to fill a void that non-work relationships or activities should. Wow, that was good. That last one really stuck with me. Do not expect work to fill a void that non-work relationships and activities do. And that, again, opens my perspective to that. So there's some resources that I'll be leaving below. And I want to bring a quick resource that is detrimental and has helped me a lot. And I want to give it to you super quick. It's Harvard case studies. Those help you a lot uh, and especially becoming credible. And you can look at this stuff for like 10 bucks for being a non-student. Those are detrimental and some of the problems you have because come to find out most of the people and most of the problems have already been done. So on Harvard, they do these case studies. So you can basically solve problems. Of how can I fail employees? And I wish I would have known this before my case uh, competition because that would help detrimentally with the Harvard case study. Um, but there's like resources like Evernote, uh, Exploi, which helps uh, see the email times or hotspot indicators when you get the most emails to be where you, the time you check to set that time. Egg timer to really help with the Prieto's law and force yourself to do the bare essentials. There's rescue time. It tells you how focused you are in deep work. I have that downloaded. It's a free resource. More linked below. Tim's blog as well. So check that stuff out. And finally, let's bring you the final summary of all of this and then we'll be heading out. Instead of tooling around for the rest of your life in the office waiting for retirement, you should join the new rich and start enjoying life today. Begin by doing some redefining, then focusing on your efforts through the 20% of the task are the most impactful. Next, liberate yourself from the office by showing that you are more effective working at home and breaking the habit of constantly checking your inbox. Finally, Automate your income by identifying and testing muses. Again, that's income that is not, uh, that's repetitive cash flow that isn't as hard to maintain. With these habits in place, you'll be, you'll be well on your way, the lifestyle that you did well desire and would appreciate. So some actionable advice is creating a dream plan. Go ahead and create a dream plan that you want to achieve in six months and really try to go after it. I know this was a longer podcast episode, but I think you guys will enjoy it because the book was, again, um, about if you go through and analyze yourself, about 40 hours. So I just skimmed it down about one fortieth of it, and I try to cut all the fat and give you all the useful stuff and golden nuggets. If you really did, please share with friends and family. That would really help the podcast as I'm trying to really blow it up towards the end of it. Um, I would really appreciate that. With that being said, cue the outro. This has been the Redefine Relentless Podcast. Catch you guys later. And that's the last you saw of them. You got it?